Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Luke 23, verse 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children." For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. And then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Before we look at my text this morning... I want to make sure you get the picture. Having been beaten beyond recognition, the Bible tells us he was marred more than any man. He was beaten to a bloody pulp to the extent that you could no longer even recognize him. He has left the judgment of Pilate and he is staggering under the weight of the cross whenever And Simon comes and offers to help bear part of the load. He is en route to Calvary. And yet rather than to be thinking of himself, his thoughts were for others that would suffer due to their unbelief. And in this section that I just read, we see his pain in verse 26. He begins preaching in verse 27. There's a prophecy in verse 29 and 30, and then he closes his message in verse 31 with a proverb. Jesus spoke seven times while he was on the cross, but this is his last message on earth before the crucifixion. And today we're going to focus on verse number 28. And notice he says here in verse number 28, turning to them, he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. He addressed the women, the daughters of of Jerusalem. Remember, this is the nation that he loved dearly. This is the nation of the people there of Jerusalem that he wept over. These are the people that he cared so much about. And yet, the Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. He's addressing the people that had rejected him. And although he addresses the message here to those women, he intentionally speaks so that all could hear. It's a message for everyone that was present. 
and I can't think of, of that without thinking of what great grace that was for him to do that at such a time as this. A time when others would be thinking only of themselves. Jesus was thinking of others. Any other preacher knowing what lay ahead, knowing that he was about to be nailed to the cross, knowing he was about to be put to death, any other preacher would have said, I have nothing to say. But this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And these are His last words before He was nailed to the cross. I've been preaching over 50 years now, and I've, uh, I've preached, I've read, I've heard thousands of sermons. But I've never heard a sermon on verse 28. I, I can't remember ever preaching a sermon just on that verse. You know, I've read it many times, just like everybody else, but I've taught it along with the other verses, but I've never just camped out on that one verse and, and, and really thought about the point that Jesus was trying to make. It's divided into two parts. Notice in the first place, Jesus said, Weep not for me. Most of us would have done that, would we? We'd have said, oh, I need your prayers. If you ever cried in prayer, please do right now. I, You know, uh, not Jesus. Weep not for me. But notice here's the second part. He said, but weep for yourselves. Now, there's a good reason for both statements here. You know, whenever we think of ourselves and see ourselves so sinful and so deserving of judgment, and then we think of Christ that He is absolutely perfect in every way, we look at this and it appears that the, the statement's in the reverse order of what it ought to be. We ought to weep for Him and not weep for ourselves. But since this is Jesus speaking, you can make sure He got it right. You know, there's several different ideas as to why Jesus said, weep not for me, and I'm not going to discuss all of them. A lot of them are really very foolish, but uh, but uh, I do want to explain the best I can what's going on. First of all, let me say, I believe there was good reason to weep over Christ. You think about you think about the injustice that's been perpetrated against him. You think about the indescribable suffering that he has already endured. You think about the cross that he is facing and it was you know it was only you know be natural that that we'd be moved to tears. I mean how could we be so cold and so calloused as to see anyone but let alone to see the only perfect man who has ever lived to see him being subjected to such horrific injustice So I don't believe Jesus was rebuking them for expressing grief over his suffering it was it was natural and it was noble that they would do that they hadn't done anything wrong He's simply revealing that there was something else that they needed to be weeping about. 
Remember, he's gone to the cross of his own accord. He didn't have to go. His power was greater than the power of those who came to arrest him there in the garden. He didn't have to go. It was of, of his own accord that he faced the cross. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 that he did so with joy. There was no bitterness. There was no resentment whatsoever. You see, he knew from the beginning that he was born to die and he lived in the shadow of the cross. He knew it was going to be for man's good and for God's glory. And he knew it would soon be over. And he knew he would rise again from the dead and send back to the Father. So instead of, of him agreeing that they ought to weep for him, he says, you need to weep for yourself. The great famous preacher Charles Spurgeon said many years ago, Jesus would not have the women to weep for one thing because they were to weep for another. You get it? Jesus would not have them to be weeping over Him when they ought to be weeping over something else. They hadn't done anything wrong except for the fact that they failed to see reason to weep over their spiritual condition. He went on to say that you need not weep because Christ died one-tenth as much as because your sins rendered it necessary that He should die. Instead of weeping over the crucifixion, we need to weep over our transgressions. Instead of weeping over the remedy, we ought to be reaping over the disease. That's what Jesus is saying to them. And this morning, I want to speak to you about why sinners ought to weep for themselves. Something to cry about. I suspect every parent here, every, every dad, no, time, no doubt, at some time or another, it said to a child, usually to the son, if you don't shut that whining up, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Oh, I've heard that. I'm going to give you something to cry about. Well, let me tell you, for those that do not know Christ as their Savior, there's some things you need to be crying about. In fact, in a sense, even if you have been saved, there's something that you need to cry about. When we think about what happened to Christ on the cross, we ought to weep for ourselves because we have sinned. Sin is the worst thing in all of the world. And it's so sad that, you know, we're... We're not as sad about sin as what we ought to be. I mean, most people think about, you know, sin's not a big deal. After all, none of us are perfect. We try to justify it. We try to explain it away. But let me tell you, nobody will ever be saved until, first of all, they are brokenhearted over their sinfulness. You know, you can come hop, skipping down the aisle chewing your double bubble chewing gum and say, oh, I want, to, I want Jesus to take me to heaven. And, and let me tell you, you'll never be saved with an attitude like that. I'm not trying to make salvation more difficult than it is. I'm trying to get you to see that we cannot 
become a Christian until first of all we realize we're a sinner. We've got to get to that place that we realize that we have sinned against a holy God. Tears are not a prerequisite for salvation, but it's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That's what I'm going to preach about tonight. Godly sorrow. A lot of folks make a profession of faith, but they never show any sorrow about being a sinner. Well, we see it all of the time. Let me tell you, a profession of faith will not get you into heaven. You must be born again. You, you can make a profession of faith every week. And that's not going to get you into heaven. I mean, just repeating mere words, praying the sinner's prayer, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you think you've got to do in order to become a child of God, that's not going to get you into heaven. We have to be broken hearted in regards to our sin and we've got to realize who Christ is and what Christ did and trust Him to save our soul. And we need to weep because we have sinned. Secondly, we need to weep because it is our sin that caused the Savior's suffering. You know, it, it was my sin and your sin that brought Him to the cross. It's so easy for us to look back and to blame the Jews. that They're the ones, we say, that rejected Him. And certainly they did. They cried, crucify Him, crucify Him. And we look at the Romans and we think about the injustice of the Roman government giving their permission for Him to be nailed to the cross. But we're all guilty. We're all guilty. It was your sin and my sin that nailed Him there. And that ought to cause the hardest sinner to weep, to think, to think that your sin was responsible for the suffering that Jesus Christ went through. Then we ought to weep because of the fact that our sin will be punished. So many folks got this idea that they're just trying to make it to heaven in the hope that they get there someday. And what they don't realize is they keep thinking, you know, when I die, you know, I'm going to have to stand before God and God's going to examine whether I've been a good person or not and He's going to weigh my good works against my bad works and hopefully I'll have more good works than bad works and hopefully I'll get into heaven. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people believe that. In fact, the majority of professing Christians, the majority of denominations teach exactly that. You know, we talk about cults so many times, like, you know, how awful those cults are. And they are. They're horrible and terrible because of the fact that they pervert the Word of God and their doctrine is, is something that will never lead people to Christ. And yet you look at the major denominations in the world and they teach a system of salvation by works. What is the difference whether you have to, you know, climb the highest mountain and swim the widest sea to get to heaven or be baptized to get to heaven? No difference at all. Because what you're saying is it depends on what I do. 
And that if I'll be a good neighbor and get baptized and join the church, everything will be all right. And no, it won't. The Bible says that you are condemned already. It's not that you're going to be condemned sometime later on when you stand before God. You are condemned already and you are just awaiting the impending punishment for your sins. And it might be that in this world you have prospered greatly. It might be, you know, that you've made a name for yourself. It might be that you're highly respected. It might be that you've even been the first lady. Now, please don't anybody misunderstand what I'm saying So, because I so much appreciate the contribution that Mrs. Bush made. I appreciate that. But that doesn't get anyone into heaven. It wouldn't get me into heaven. It wouldn't get you into heaven. You know, we're condemned already. We're awaiting punishment for our sins and our payday is someday. And it's just by God's mercy that we're not consumed already. Our sin will be punished. Every sin you ever commit will be punished. It'll either be punished in the person of Christ on the cross, or you will face the punishment for your sins. And if we could understand how horrible hell is, if we really understood that, we'd see there's good reason for me to weep. Being unsaved, condemned already, awaiting punishment, and, and, and deserving it. Why wouldn't we cry? Why wouldn't we weep over being in that horrible condition? Then I think we need to weep because of the fact that our sin harms others. You see, your sin always affects somebody else in some way, and that's awful. I've often said, you know, sometimes I think whenever some young man or some young woman gets in trouble and they go to prison, sometimes I think maybe mom and dad ought to be right there with them. Because a lot of times, you know, they fail to to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They fail to be a good example for them. In fact, a lot of times they're responsible for leading them down the wrong road. And the only difference between dad and the son is the son got caught and the dad didn't. So the son is in prison and dad's got free. But somebody pays for your sins. Notice what he says. He says, weep for yourselves and for your children. Weep for yourselves and your children. Nobody can ever be the parent that they ought to be without first knowing Christ is their Savior. I was a horrible parent before I was saved. I certainly haven't been a perfect parent since then. But I was horrible. I tried to discipline my kids the best that I knew how. I didn't know nothing about raising kids. Man, I'd run the streets and I'd get up in the morning and take off and, you know, come home in the evening. But in between, just pretty much did whatever I wanted to do. And so I become a father and I, you know, I realized what I'd done wrong and I, I tried to be really, really strict on the kids. 
What we do whenever we set all of these rules for our kids, you're going to do this and you're going to do that and you're not going to make the same mistakes that I make. And you say all of that while you're drinking a beer. You tell the kid, go get me another beer. Whenever they hear the fighting and the fussing between mom and dad and they see your lifestyle and what have you, all you're doing is provoking them to wrath. Your sin is affecting those children. And those children, as a result of that, especially it might be that you even profess to be a Christian, but those kids see that and they are repulsed by the very thought of Christianity. They don't want anything to do with it and they die and go to hell because of the manner in which you lived. But your sin in some way is going to affect your children and your grandchildren and everybody else. In fact, it affects the entire Society. Look in verse 29 again. He says, For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that, that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. They don't know it, but the Lord is giving a prophecy here. That in 70 A.D., Titus is going to come in and trample them underfoot and overthrow their city and destroy them, ruin them. They don't know it yet. It's history now, but it was prophecy then. And Jesus is saying, you need to weep for yourselves and you need to weep for your children because there is coming a judgment upon this society. You see, the sinfulness of a society always eventually brings punishment upon the nation. A lot of times, you know, we like to criticize the nation. I mean, it breaks our heart, but we're so prone to criticize our nation. And boy, if you start really looking at the news and thinking about all, some of the, the nutty stuff that's going on in California, I mean, look, if they have their way, they're going to they'd ban the Bible, I'm telling you. A lot of the stuff going on there is mind-boggling, but let me tell you, that is sort of an epicenter of a lot of the liberal thought, and it has a way of bleeding out into society, and it affects the entire nation. And we think to ourselves, oh, that would never happen here. Look, I can look back 30, 40 years ago and talk about things that I, 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 I never imagined it would Things, some things would be so acceptable in society today as it is now. How could that be? Well, little by little by little. You see, first of all, we're told to be tolerant, to tolerate sin. And after a while, our tolerance turns to acceptance. And we embrace the sin. And so we look at the nation and we criticize the nation. But let me tell you, we all play a part in making this nation what it is. And we all, we all should share the blame. Did you know that's the way it was in Old Testament times? Whenever certain things happened in cities, the entire city was blamed. The city was blamed for not providing security for the people and things of that nature. I mean, God established laws in that regards. 
And when we as a people sin against God, you mark it down, America is going to pay. There's going to be a payday someday in America. But then there's another reason why those that have rejected Christ ought to weep, and that is because they've resisted so often. When I think about these people that were following the Lord, and whenever it speaks about the women, the daughters of Jerusalem, notice it didn't say the daughters of Galilee. They were the ones that followed Him and trusted Him. When He said the daughters of Jerusalem, He's talking about He's talking about the beloved city, but He's talking about people there that had rejected Him. And if you keep all of this in the cultural context of that time, these women more than likely were hired mourners. They were not there actually mourning over Him at all. They had been hired. Boy, if you've got to pay somebody to cry at my funeral, save your money. Amen? But whatever the case might be, you know, it's really immaterial because of the fact that here He has been ministering all of this time and these people have been following Him from place to place. And this is where a lot of them went wrong. It was a source of entertainment for a lot. They loved to see His miracles. They would have accepted Him on that basis. In fact, the Jews would have accepted Him as their King. They said so if he would have just crushed the Roman government, liberated them, got them out from under the iron heel of the Roman government, they would have accepted him as a king. But he didn't come to set up a kingdom. Not then. And they rejected him. But think of the opportunities, because some of them had followed him from miracle to miracle to miracle, and still had never received him as their Lord and Savior. Just like some of you, perhaps, since you were a child, you followed mom and dad or grandma and grandpa and time and time again, you attended Sunday school and church. You heard the Word of God over and over and over again. And yet you continue to reject God's offer of salvation. Have you ever thought about what a horrible insult it is to God to think that God shed the blood of His own dear Son on that cross. And when you reject Him, it's like you're just trampling over the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, well, preacher, I'm... No, no, no. I'm not that adamant against Him or anything. I take a neutral stance. No, nobody takes a neutral stance. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground on this. You're either a child of God or according to John 8.44, a child of the devil. One of the two. There's no middle ground. And we ought to weep to think that we would continue to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you another reason why people need to weep. And that is because of the fact that they wasted so much time. Remember, you read on and you're introduced to two men, two thieves that hang on the cross next to Him. The one man was saved. Thank God for that. You say, well, I don't believe in deathbed repentance. Well, it just shows you don't know anything. 
Amen. I mean, this thief is dying, and Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Amen. What a wonderful thing that is, but... Wait a minute, there's no time for baptism, there's no time for church membership, no time for good works. I mean, everything's hinging on the grace of God. And we have the assurance of Christ Himself that that man was saved at that moment. But think about this, there's no time left to serve God. When God saved me, God put something within me. He put someone in me. His Spirit. And God gave me a desire to serve Him. Nobody had to beg me to go to church. I mean, you'd have to hold me back. I wanted to be there. I wanted to hear God's Word. I wanted to be with God's people. I wanted to sing God's praise. God just put that in my heart the moment that He saved me. More than anything, I want to serve God while I'm here on this earth. But here is a man that has wasted his life away. Now he's down to the final moments of his life. Like the old song says, wasted years, wasted years, oh how foolish. You see, if a person ever should be saved, they ought to be saved as soon as possible. And if you're not saved, you have reason to weep. You have something to cry about if you're not saved. Since uh, your condition as a sinner is so serious, turn over to chapter 13. This is what you ought to be weeping about. Let me tell you, if you're here today and saved, I want you to listen carefully to this. If you're here today and you've been saved, you're a child of God, the condition of those that are unsaved ought to give you something to cry about. It ought to cause us to weep over sinners. Luke 13, 23. Then said one unto him, Lord... There are few that be saved. That's a question mark. And he said unto them, Strive to enter into the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you ye are. Then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. And he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the prophets in the kingdom of God, and and you yourselves thrust out. What a horrible picture that is. You know, it's amazing to me that so many people have this idea that when their loved ones die, that they're, I'm going to get to see them again. There's coming a day. I'll get to see them again. Get to be with my loved ones. Well, that depends on whether they've been saved. It depends on whether you're saved. 
And, and for us to think about our dear loved ones, I think there's a good chance that there, there's some folks here this morning that even in this service, right here in this room, right now, there is someone that you love dearly that has never received Christ as their Savior, never even made a profession of faith, never pretended that they were a Christian, but they've never been saved. And we've become so hard and callous that we can't even weep about it. If we get a scratch on our new car, we're a basket case. If we get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, you know, it's terrible. We're weeping over that. If we can't pay our bills or whatever the problem is, you know, there are all these different things that cause us to cry, but... I'm talking about your loved one, one heartbeat, one breath away from a devil's hell, and we're in such a wretched spiritual condition that we don't even weep about it. And then we wonder, why is it that more people aren't being saved? Well, maybe they see we're not all that serious about it ourselves. If you're not saved... You need to do so right here, right now, today. You, you see, you might never have another chance, never have another opportunity. Nobody here knew Jennifer Reardon. But I bet you heard about her. Last Tuesday, Jennifer nearly got sucked out of a Southwest Airline plane window and died after being struck by the debris when the engine exploded. Now think about it. That poor woman got up that morning. She checked her, her flight time, went through her regular routine, of course, went to the airport through security, boarded the plane, took her seat. The plane lifted off. She's headed toward her destination. And then totally unexpected, she was killed in just an instant. Thousands upon thousands of people fly every day and they arrive safely. And there was no reason for Jennifer for one second to think that this is going to be any different. She never gave any thought that this is going to be the day that I die. But she did. And dear friends, there are thousands every day that die unexpectedly in different ways, but they die unexpectedly. And I'm telling you, your turn just might be coming up. It could be this afternoon. You could die in your sleep. It could be tomorrow. You just don't know. The Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Why would you dare walk out that door as though nothing is wrong in your life when you have sinned against God and your sin caused Jesus to suffer on the cross and your sin has brought harm upon your loved ones and your sin has... Damage the very society that you live in. 
Oh, may God open your eyes and help you to see the awful condition you're in this morning. You're one heartbeat, one breath away from a devil's hell. But you don't have to leave in that condition. The Bible says if we will simply believe, and that implies putting our faith, our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we'll trust the sacrifice that He made to be a sufficient payment for our sin debt, we can become a child of God. And that could happen to anyone here this morning, right where you're at. Why would you say no? Why would you insult God by saying, I'm not really interested in what you offer? And insult the sacrifice that Christ provided for you. If you're not saved, you've got good reason to weep. And we have reason to weep with you over your condition. Will you trust the Lord this morning as your personal Savior? He didn't ask you to climb a mountain, swim the widest sea. He didn't ask you to give every penny you got. He just said, trust me. He that believe on me, what has everlasting life. And that can be you right here this morning. Would you trust him? Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you for your saving grace. How we thank you for the clarity of the word of God that reveals to us not only our need of salvation, but reveals to us the very way unto salvation and Lord, I pray that You'll open the eyes of those that are lost here today. Help them to see that Jesus is, as He said, the way, the truth, and the life. May they receive Him as their Lord and Savior here this morning. May they leave here with the wonderful assurance that all of their sins have been forgiven, that they're now a child of God, and they know without any doubt if their time came to die, they'd go to be with the Lord. Heavenly Father, may it be so here today. In Jesus' name, we beg you to answer these prayers. Amen. While we stand and as we sing this morning, would you come?